Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Welcome indeed. It is Thursday. It is sunshiny. It is hot in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hallelujah. Had to breathe on that one. And I thank God for being here today. Wow, this is another opportunity for us to share family on the Paula Price Show on Blog Talk Radio. You are going to want to share, 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 and well, share, and after that, share. Can we share again? And the reason is we're going to deal with some very uh, interesting, I'll say interesting subjects. One of the things that I find actually two things people want to deal with today. Yeah. They want to know about how to get closer to God. Because yeah. that's important. Because hard it has been. You know, last week we talked about the culture crafted church. And it's hard and difficult as been. It's been. I think we've come up up around 7,000 views on that one. Got to be 7,000 views. So you listen, you guys, I want to get to 10. I'm hoping for 12, but I'm, I want to get to 10 today. So share that with everybody. The Culture Crafted Church, because that's the journey God has me on. And we began this journey talking about the Culture Crafted Pastors and the Culture Picked Pastors, Culture Appointed Pastors, and that because the church has been out of Bible, biblical divine order, that's kind of scary anyway, <laughs> that a lot of things cut through the gate because the watchmen, the guardians, the, the, the enforcers were absent. I often use the phrase, authoring mantles of scripture. That means apostles and prophets. Now, where did you get that from, Dr. Price? I got it from Jesus Christ in Luke 24, 44. So the scriptures were brought to us by the prophets, the Psalms, and the law of Moses. Moses is considered to be a type of Shariah, which is a, an Old Testament version of apostle. So the offering mantles of scripture, you know, kicked out. We just don't need them. We don't need them at all because, after all, we got the whole, everybody has the Holy Spirit, and they don't need any man to teach them. <clears throat> Error one, because you want somebody, you want to teach other people, you're a person. If, you, if, if, if that scripture were actually true, then you would have a lot more um, shepherdless, pastorless churches. Now, we got some. We have quite a few. But anyway, so we, the offering mantles of scripture, that means these are the, the pick mantles that God shaped, formed, constructed, empowered, and enlightened to hear his word, to hear his truth, and to write it as he says it, despite not comprehending what it means. What what God needs you to understand is that you can't figure out what God thinks, because if you did, you and God would be together. When Enoch figured out what God thought, God took him. I thought that was good. When Elijah figured out what God thought, God took him. 
when Moses finally got his head wrapped around, God, God took him. So that means that there is a depth of knowledge that is even too great for this present age. And so God handpicks people to bring into his mind and to get free access to his thoughts in respect to their jobs, et cetera. Now, people want to know that. You know, um, Paul said that I may know him. Paul, I may Paul, that I may know him. The knowledge of God is how you get close to God. And, and, and we've taught you differently. We taught you your worship experience will bring you close to God. It may bring God closer to you, but we have a lot of worship leaders that have a hot time, folk laid out on the floor, and they go fornicate, sin, cheat, steal, lie. But you just had a hot, a hot worship time. That was, the, that was the worship leader's experience. Because when you want to get close to God, you have to care about God's experience with you. So that's the one thing. And then there is the number one caveat for getting close to God, which people don't like. And that is repentance. And repentance is something that, you know, we would all like to do, and we think we do regularly, and we don't, and we don't do it well. So I, I like the, you know, I, I like the idea of repentance. I want to I share something with you because I just think this is important. I want to go to, I want to show you something that we, we, we don't often – all right. Man, I, every now and then ask me predictive text works with you. Every now and then. Doesn't do it a lot. Today it's not embarrassing. Because you know it can embarrass us. You know, you send out horrible words to people talking about oops. Yeah. But I want us to look at that. You know, and so I'm looking at here on the for you all for you all who would like to know one of my sites is the um what is it, the etymology online dictionary? And so I'm looking at repentance, and, and they said penitence, and it says, you know, repent. And so here, this is important, repentance. I'm going to go somewhere today with repentance. But according to them, from the 13th century onward, it was concluded that to repent is to feel such regret for sins or crimes as produces amendment of life. Amendment of life. And it comes from, um, obviously, words that means to regret and then make sorry and pino, and it's a distinction between regret in many modern languages, but the def- differentiation is not present in older periods. So repentance means that you are, you're regretful, you're remorseful, and you're sorrowful. You don't joke about your repentance. You don't say, ha, 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 I ain't that repent it later. <laughs> That's not repentance. You don't joke about repentance. I'm going to have to put my salvation on the shelf so I can tell you all. That's not repentance. You can't repent from that. That's willful sin. So I like, I like repentance because it's important that we understand what repentance means. And you, you don't just regret because you fear punishment. You regret because you actually are sorrowful, remorseful about offending the object of your greatest affection. The person you admire and, and celebrate the most in life. And so as we go on, if, if repentance is what you do to avoid punishment, yes. 
but it also means, which I think is is um, important. It also means that you are you are so sorry you want to pay God back for what you did. So there's a compensation or a fine or what they call an atonement compensation for your sin. A lot of you all repent to God. You have these whole great moments. I'm, 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 I had a deep moment in God, and I'm repenting, and, um, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to repent to my husband, my pastor, everything. You just go drop a few sorry coins. But when you repent, you restore. Because, see, if you offended someone, that means you robbed them of something. You took something from them. You deprived them. You derailed their blessing. And when you do that, you've got to bring a gift. You've got to bring some sort of atonement because that, that act literally ruptured your relationship, ruptured your union. See, we want passive sorry, passive apology. That's what we call repentance, passive that you stepped on somebody's toe. Oops, sorry, let's go on. This is not a step on someone's toe, bump into them in the hallway. This is actually contemplative revelation of a damage that you caused in someone's life. Starting with God. Contemplative revelation. And, and then from there, acceptance, acknowledgement and acceptance. Because a lot of people, blame keeps you from being penitent. You can't repent if you blame it. Because in your mind, you didn't do it. Come on, tell everybody you want. Share, 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 so everybody can get repentance right. You take somebody's job, and you know you did it, but then later on, God convicts you of it. You've got to make reparations. And that whole piece of repentance has gotten lost. It cost that person something to suffer and endure your crime against them. Because repentance is my crime. Well, it is. We took that from you because, see, we got that culture-crafted church and that culture-crafted leader telling you it's okay as long as you feel better. It's a done deal. But actually, repentance is about you feeling horrible as you make someone else feel better. So that culture crafted church is always going to invert righteousness. It's always going to invert God's righteousness. So you, you, you the Pope Christ, you realize that I have a, I mean, it could cost me everything. It probably cost them everything for you to do what you did. They probably lost their houses. They lost their cars. They lost their churches. They lost their, their family. They lost their wealth. They lost opportunities that they could have had. They have missed windows. Yeah, it cost them everything while you enjoyed the fruits of your crime against them. You know, we often uh, like to preach about Ahab and Jezebel and, and, and Nabal's field. We like that. But do you know? Christians do that, do that to each other every day, and leaders and mentors are the worst. Leaders and mentors have that whole David-Uriah thing going on. So David got 700, 900 wives, and yet you got to go take this, one, this, this very faithful soldier's one little one, just one, and you have to take that one. Now, you can, you can sit there and get a new woman every hour, and God said, and I would have given you more. But you had to take this one little servant, faithful servant, who loved you above all else. You had to take their only treasure, their only pleasure, their only pride. 
you know, adultery in the church is like that, especially when leaders commit adultery. So as we go forward and we start talking about repentance and those kinds of things, I want you to see it differently. Repentance is not just a matter of you saying, I'm sorry. And for some reason, God wants to clear the slate on that, you know? And so when I think about it, let me get this right. When I think about it, you know, I want to go here because I really want you to understand that repenting means that you are taking something that you gave an unlawful release and you're gathering and confining it again to yourself so that it stops being damaging to someone else. When you commit these things, you don't, the church never thinks of the, the, you know, their, their acts against each other, aggression, you know, uh, 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 assault, recklessness. You never think of those as being acts of damage. You damage another's life. Now, I, I, no, that's not how I meant it. It doesn't make a difference how you meant it. As a matter of fact, the fact that that's the outcome is the truth about what you meant. And so when you think about God's word, you know, the word of God is sharper than, you know, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder, God knows what you meant. The last phrase of that reveals everything. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. And if he exposes them, that means he wants the world to know the thought and intent of your heart. Some of you today, I don't know who you are. But God is telling you, you need to clean your slate because you've been making roughshod, running roughshod over the people of God. You've been running roughshod over people's blessings. You've been, all of that, understand that God gives you a window of repentance. We're going to talk about the window of repentance. And we're going to talk about what repentance looks like to the repentor, starting with God. The Lord said to me one time way back, I'm back in the 80s, he said, you know, Paula, People can never offend their brothers and sisters in me until they have offended me and not cared. So when Jesus says, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, that's what he's talking about. You cannot do two people or four people which you haven't done to God or for God. That's a fact. Okay, write that down. You know, you're, you're meeting my teaching mantle today. You cannot, you cannot do two people what you haven't done to God first. So you can understand that before you committed adultery on your spouse, you committed adultery with your God. Before you show infidelity to your spouse or your friends or your loved ones, you started with God. How do you say that? Because you started by drifting off watching things you shouldn't watch. You started by entertaining imaginations that you should have killed. You started by having conversations. So you understand that you, sin is what you talk yourself into doing. You have to talk yourself into your sins. And you have to create a place for them in your life, in your thought life, in your emotions, in your psyche, in your disgruntledness. You have to talk yourself into it. You have committed adultery probably two years before you acted it out. 
you visiting movies and, and, and hanging out with friends and, 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 and all those kinds of things, all of those are precursors in their stages. And they are what's telling the spirit realm to go and create this scenario for you to satisfy your flesh because you've already satisfied your spirit. And you've already satisfied your soul. Now you must satisfy your body. So all of those years, and when you, when you finally come to your senses and you come out of it, you say, God, I just didn't, I didn't mean it. God's like, yes, you did. The reason he could charge you with a crime is because you committed it in the spirit first. You criminalized your relationship with God by entertaining something that you knew you should have slaughtered way back. And then you criminalized the human realm by allowing your soul to taste and imagine and to fantify and all of that before your body even said, okay, my turn. So by the time it shows up in your outward life, you're answering your body's cry for my turn. See, this is how God sees it. Because when you were in the spirit realm, you begot it in the spirit realm. You incubated it in the soul realm. And then you executed it in the physical realm. Are you all following me today? Are you with me this morning? Because some of you all say, I keep apologizing, or excuse me, I keep repenting and going back and doing it again because you have never, ever regretted conceiving it. You never regret it because you are a victim. You're a victim of your emotions. You are a victim of circumstances. You are a victim of mistreatment. You're a victim of all sorts of things. And because you still keep yourself lodged in that place of victimhood, you can't get free. And you can't get free because you really don't want to say it was you. Because it is embarrassing after the fact to say, that mess was in me. That filth was in me. I brought this into existence. I did this to myself. That is an embarrassing statement, but if you can get past that embarrassment and get past that humiliation, that you can come into that strata of truth, that, that realm, that dimension of truth where lies can't stand. You see, your body is the liar and the lie detector on earth. And when you get out of that body, lies have no place. So you can maintain that in your heart all you want, that God is going to know you did it. He's going to tell you that. When you get really close to God, he jumps the gun on you. No, that's not true. But I want to, I don't know who I'm helping today, but God wants to send some blessings into the earth. But you are going to have to understand that God can't bless sin. He can't bless mess. Why? Because he already cursed it. He's not going to reverse the curse for your situation. The curse, the curse is universal. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It didn't say the body. It said the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So that incubator that you got in there called the soul, when you're waiting for your day to get so-and-so back, you're waiting for your day, and all that, that is why forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness is going ahead of the trauma, the hurt, the crime, and giving people a release anyway for your best interest. Your best interest. So let's talk about, let's look at this just a little more. Did you, did you share? Are you sharing? I need you to share because there are souls that want to be free. When I got 
saved. I listened to several preachers talk about the spirit, once it comes from God, cannot be tainted or contaminated. Now, if you're like me, when you heard that, because it was a popular teaching in the 80s and the 90s, if you're like me, you're like, yay, but something sickening happens. You know, you're real, the truth, your truth detector. Oh, hallelujah. Because, see, we talk about a lie detector, but you also need a truth detector. And so your truth detector started going, because you're like, is that so? Which means the whole idea was that no matter what you did in your body, what you did with your body, what happened in your soul, your spirit was in some sort of isolated containment that could not be infected because it was new. So, in other words, it can send out life, but it couldn't take in death. So I, I struggled. I, I promise you I struggled with that. And I, one day I'm reading my Bible. You need that because your truth detector only responds to Scripture. Whether it's the spirit of a thing, the presence of a thing, the standard, the influence, it only responds to that. And the Holy Spirit took me to 2 Corinthians 7, 1. And from that moment on, I got free. So Paul said, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, let us, because you know, the one that, well, amen, let us cleanse ourselves. You know, the, all of you all that said, if God wants you to stop smoking, he'll take it. Wrong. I need a bell with me. Come on, with me. I, I, I'm going to oink, oink. You know, I got an oink, oink. All right? Wrong. If God wants you to stop smoking, he would take it when God already told you that he would judge you for destroying your temple. God wants you to stop doing drugs. He will deliver you. No, uh-uh, not happening. You know why? Because God gave you the faculties and the resources to deliver yourself. So he says here, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. If you're reading your Bible, my family, my beloved family, I want you to highlight, cleanse ourselves. Because the responsibility for the state and the condition, the health and wealth of your soul is on you. You want to, nobody tells you how to wash your body every day. And he said, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. It didn't say soul. It said flesh and spirit because flesh is synonymous with soul, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, if you are a Bible teacher, Sunday school teacher, or whatever, you ought to be able to tear this scripture up for the sanctification of the body. Jesus tells us in John 17, 17, that God's word is the truth that sanctifies you from sin. So those of you who are in those Bibleist churches, you will never be clean enough for God because you don't know. You just don't know. Yeah, I got my little thing. I'm getting next something. I don't know. We'll find out. So, now hear me because this is important. To the degree to which you know and commit yourself to God's word, God's inspired word. I'm not talking about those knockoff Bibles with that $5 revelation. I'm talking about the God-breathed scriptures related to Jesus Christ. 
<clears throat> you can try stop something all you want, but you will not have the power to do it because that power requires the logos of God, which is the wisdom and the logic of how you got bound up, what was going on in your soul, who did what, who you're holding hostage to your suffering, to your pain, to your loss. Because see, that hostage creates a hostility. So God wants you to know that he is not coming after your nicotine habit for you. He'll get in it with you, but he's not going to come after it for you. And your pastor who said, don't worry about it, get the Lord and take it. You wait on it. You'll be in the grave. And he, that's how he'll take it. He'll take it by taking you. So you have got to decide you are responsible for the health and wellness and well-being of your soul. That is your duty. It is your possession. It is in your body. It is your duty. You must heal your physician. Heal themselves. You have all of these preachers out there preaching up a storm, going back to hotel rooms with, with homosexual and heterosexual relationships, drug parties, orgies, and carrying on, and standing up there over you with souls so filthy, even hell got to give them an award. You are responsible for your soul. And God, I want you to realize this is scripture. And because they took you out of Bible, they took you out of Christ. And when they took you out of Christ, they took his light out of you. So you are running on a dark light. Some of us are running on stadium light, others are running on sunlight, and some are running on pin light. And most Christians, especially in these culture-crafted churches, are running on pin light. They're running on feel as you want. See what you like, do it because you like it. Where everything is, their single entity is the measurement and standard for everything. The gauge of your sin is how you feel, how sorrowful you feel, how sickened you feel. It doesn't repent. It. I keep, let me go back. I want to say this. The Bible is not written for Christians. It's written for Christ, who reproduces himself as Christians. The Bible is written for Christ, for his government, for his family, for his rulership, his sovereignty, for his rewards, for his inheritance, <clears throat> for his reprisals, for his vengeance, for his vindication. Christ. Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. If you started reading your Bible as if it's about Jesus Christ, you're going to step into a dimension of revelation that will open up your eyes of your understanding. The Bible says the veil is taken away in Christ. You read the Bible without Christ, you get Moses' reward, which is the veil still lies on your mind and your flesh. You know God is saying something. You know it pertains to you. And yet, <clears throat> and yet, You still don't know what it does. So let's go on. So it says, God is not taking it. Cleanse ourselves. Say it to yourself three times. Cleanse ourselves. Cleanse ourselves. Cleanse ourselves. I must cleanse me, except I don't know how. I don't know where I'm dirty. I don't know what kind of soap to use. I don't know what kind of disinfectant to use. I don't know what kind of astringent to use. I don't know how to handle this. How do I do it? That is why you need training. Because you can read this Bible from cover to cover to cover to cover to cover. And you know what? It still won't answer your questions because you need somebody that is already worked on to teach you. The Ethiopian eunuch <clears throat> was reading 
Isaiah 53 over and over and over again. He was reading it. And you know what? He's just stuck. And even though he's he's stuck. Need my camera folks to be still. Even though he was reading it over and over and over again, it didn't make sense until what? Until the person it had already worked on connected with him. When they connected, when Philip connected with that Ethiopian unit, he was released from his ignorance. He was released from the darkness. He was released from his unenlightenment because of the flat, the glory of God upon Philip, and he got answers. And he said, well, how can I do this? I, who are they talking about? How can I do this? I mean, after all, I don't know how to make this work. Philip explains the gospel to him. A lot of you have never heard the gospel. You've got some, you've got tidbits, but you've never heard the gospel. If, in fact, you want to know the gospel as the offering mantles of scriptures communicated it to the world, you need to get my book before the garden. Because that book talks to you about the gospel. In my course, my program at Price University, I have a whole class on the gospel. I'm telling you that thing is a minimum 40 different strains. I thought it was 23, and then I ran them all over again. I said, oh, my goodness, because what you think is the gospel doesn't stop at your salvation. It doesn't stop when you say the sinner's prayer. The gospel begins. That's just to let the gospel begin to have access to your being. Ooh, wait a minute. Hold on. Come on. Bang, and then... Oh, I like that. I like that sound effect. You like that, Prophet? I do. Woo! I know. Oh, yeah. I'm in. I'm on. Got another way. Salvation prayer only gives the gospel access to your inner being. It's an access prayer. It's not a final prayer. After that, you need to go through all the other strains. We're in, now wait a minute. Prophet Ashley told me today is Price University Day. Is that right, Prophet Ashley? So I'm going to throw that in there a lot. We are, uh, new semester just started. It's going to be wonderful. But you have to. The, The church has very little soul development. It has spiritual gifts training, spirit of enlightenment training, no soul. And you know why? Because soul is where it hurts. When people start dealing with your soul, you need to literally brace yourself for a lot of pain and a lot of humiliation because it is the mirror zone of your existence. It is the, the mirror that looks back at you. It is the thing. Your soul is your reflection and the reflector of you. You can hide it with your body behaviors. You can just ignore the spirit, but when it gets when it gets sick enough, perverted enough, and deformed enough, it starts eking through your body, and that is what they call dysfunction. All your soul archives, all of its collections, every part of its its inner self, its secret self, becomes literally broadcasted. Your body broadcasts your soul. 
That's why you get to do things and you can hide it for two or three hours. And then all of a sudden you go home, nobody's around and this, that, and the other taking out your soul, what your soul desires, what your soul conspires and what your soul transpires becomes broadcasted in your body. Your body exists to broadcast the unseen parts of you in this world, to publish them, to perform them. And so what we don't talk about in the soul, because if you're talking about that good news gospel we've had, I'm happy, be happy, you know, everything is good news, don't tell me no bad news, that's a lying theology. That's a lying therapy. It's a therapy to halt the truth that will make you free. Because the Bible says the truth will make you free. And so the more truth Satan takes out of a life, the more captivity he can get permission to have in that life. Because captivity needs your volition. Did you like that? See, you are not captive because you just, the devil just ran up on you like a street crime. That's not why you're captive. You're captive because you issued edicts, authority, instructions, commands, and pulses to the whole sphere of resources God assigns every life to let you have your way. And when you back up and 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 back up most, I will not say all, but, but when you back up to most bondages, most dysfunctions and disorders, it is a literally a run amok rule to have your way. But you don't want to admit that you created that in your life. You don't want to say that. I don't want to commit that. Why do I want to admit that? Why would I want to say I admit it, I constructed psychologically, soulologically, constructed the dilemmas that I'm facing today? I coded my soul. I coded my, my secondary person to go and create this scenario with being blind to its consequences and ignorant to its message. Are they following me, Prophet See, if you want to be free, you've got to tap, to tap into your truth root because it is the root of truth that will make you free. And until you get to a point that you will acknowledge that, uh, that all have sinned, all means all, of sin that comes short of the glory of God and that you have a whole con system where you, you convince yourself that you are not that bad, you are not that self-serving, you are not that bad. When you get to a point where you want to be free, you are going to do, do the work. And the work is back up, back up, back up. And back up. You mean to tell me that I, I engineered this five years ago? I engineered this Seven years ago, I concocted this 15 years ago. Do you mean to tell me that I have that much power over my life? Yes, that's what the blood bought you. The blood bought you something that you did not have, and that's willpower. And your willpower came from God's power. Yes, you did. You did it when you were 16. You did it when you were 12. You did it when you were 9. This is one of the reasons why we created PPM Global Resources and our advisors program. Because people, you have been, the, the fulfillment of the physiological manifestations and consequences of what you concocted maybe even two, three decades ago 
is so far down the line, there's a disconnect. So you don't remember. You just know you want. You don't remember how you came to want, why you came to, You don't know any of that because that's blinded because we're very good at compartmentalizing ourselves so that we don't have to deal with our ugly down here. So we're always decorating, we're always renovating, we're always constructing, but most of all, we're always cloaking. And so we, we've got to uncloak your soul because the Bible says your soul seeks a cloak for its sin. So you've got to do that, and you can't repent, not genuinely. You can feel bad. You can really wish it hadn't happened. You know, you can do that. But repentance, when you begin to gather that, all of the, the uh, apparatuses and all of that stuff tied to that error, tied to that action, when you begin to collect that up like one does of, of, on garbage day and, and, and tie it up and pick it up again, you can't repent. And you can't even just kick it aside because you've got to understand why you chose this versus that. Family of six kids. Same parents, same household, every day. And yet each kid has a different experience and a different set of memories from that household. Why? Because that's dealing now with your psychophysiological makeup, how you are made, because that determines how life imprints and impacts affect you and shape you. You have to know that. You have to know. And see, so deliverance is not some blind, high musical, fever pitch singing, you know, uh, act that sets you free. Deliverance is you coming to terms with the best of you, the least of you, and the worst of you. And using your free will, your blood-bought free will, to address them honestly. People will not be delivered by lies. Lies don't deliver because they're meant to enslave. They may be captivating, but they're also enslaving. If you're a person prone to fantasy, you will not be free early because you need fantasy for your soul to be validated as an independent and also as a consoled entity. So you won't do that. People who are easily fascinated, we call them stars in the eyes, people who are, who are always into fantasies, always into imaginations, those people, you have to keep some soul sickness alive and fervent to do your job or to, in, to completely entice yourself and delude yourself into accepting something that satisfies a want you engineered way back in time. Remember, Satan can't do anything with mature people, ever. I don't care whether you're saved or unsaved. Mature, balanced, people can't do it. People who have been cleansed by truth, because truth is a cleanser. That's why you know the blood, the true blood of Jesus will cleanse you. Truth is a cleanser. And so people, you can't, he can't do anything. That's why he had to work hard to take down America. And how did he do it? By reverting it to childishness. Reverting it to his juvenile years, his juvenile mindset. It has to be that. Every nation he's going to take out is going to want to be like a child who's going to, is going to want to go back to childhood, want to go back to high school, want to go back to prom night, want to go back, go back, go back, go back, and, oh, well, well, go back. That's how you take out a nation, by making people afraid of truth, terrified of maturity, and totally disgruntled in adulthood. If you can fan those flames, you got yourself a nation. 
then everybody wants to go back. Elderly people want to be dressed like kids. I'm looking bad. I'll be the thing you ever to see. But anyway, they want to be like kids. You want to go and find your old high school friend and your old boyfriends and your old this and your old that. You want to go through your 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 uh, treasures and all your storage things to pull up all these old pictures and old memories. And you want. I wonder what so and so is doing and whatever. You have to go back because adults and maturity are forward thinking and forward movement. So when you're stuck, I don't care whether you're stuck because you're a hoarder. You're stuck at a place where. You're, you made a vow as a hoarder. You made a vow that you're tired of life being taken from you, snatched from you, and you being deprived of it. So you just hang on and hang on and hang on and hang on and hang on till your house looks like a landfill. That's because you dug your heels in to fight what appeared, and sometimes it's real, but what appeared in your life as deprivation. You're fighting the deprivers of your life and the deprivers of your soul. So you're stuck. You're like, um, I'm sorry. No. Don't you want to throw it now? Can you throw it now? Well, can we now? Because losses have been too much, too great, and maybe there was that loss that was just too traumatic, and you begin to console that loss with stuff around you. And you begin to stuff your soul, and it showed up in a stuff house. Isn't God good? Is God good? Are you all enjoying this? Come on, answer me. I need to know. Because I'm moving up. So one, the first point that I want you to get out of today is that you are responsible for cleansing your soul. Now, that means you need to find the right cleansers. You need to find the right clean, cleansing agent. You need to find the right environment, the right setting. Some of you all are in a church where you can never be free because the church doesn't want freedom, doesn't want you free, doesn't want cleaning, cleaning in stuff. The, 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 the sleazy of your church is, that means that's the sleazy of your leader is, which means you are going to be stuck with that in your soul. They have decreed your soul should be as dirty as theirs. So unless Jesus steps out of uh, the shadows and steps forward and shuts that work down, you will never know why you can't be free. Because as the head, down the beard, so goes the body. You start seeing a lot of adultery in your church, you better know that that adultery is at the top. Culture craft the church. You start seeing a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of uh, uh, infidelity or a whole lot of fornication and, and, and pregnancy, you better know that that's at the top somewhere. Because God judges leaders because he's assigned leaders to judge their bodies. So when, it, when you have that trickle down or that flood down, sometimes it's not a trickle. You need to recognize that. You're talking about, I'm going to church. I'm paying tithes. I'm done. You got drug issues. You need to understand that's at the top because it starts at the point of authority. See, Satan has to gain access to authority. Somebody, sign them up. Oh, I like that. Just like that. Nice one. But see, and what you don't understand is that captivity under the Christ era is based on authority. And Satan has to gain access to authority, which is why he's always trying to be in the top offices, always trying to be in the top seats, always trying to put his people where he can have unfettered access to the soul of the people, the soul of the land. So that's not something. That, there is a legitimacy, and there's a legal pecking order in God, in his spiritual realm, a legal, legitimizing pecking order. 
you know, one of the things we were talking about, and I've been looking at it all over, and I was saying, now, you know, this new thing just it puts a pecking order. It's authority. This came in through an authority, so I'm going to be the authority that says not so. But, you know, this whole new word that the pagans are using is called post-Christian era. I need you, everybody listening to me. No, I'm coming after that devil. You will not lie on me because you can't have a post-Christian era without having a post-Jesus Christ, and he's still around. We still got the Holy Ghost in the planet. He's still making babies. Do not, wherever you see it, I want you to rise up against that spirit. I want you to rise up against those words and curse him to death. You're an intercessor, curse it. And I mean curse it with all the power and authority you have. There is no such thing as a post-Christian era. Now, see, they, we went, before I got on board, they had the post-modern era and all that craziness happened. I right now stuff that thing back into its basket and put a lead lid on it. You will not. You will not. I speak to you in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as a post-Christian era. And I want you all to put it on your Facebook. I want you to send it to your friends. I want you to curse it. I want you to kill it to death. Because, see, we didn't know better before, but now we know better. We can do better. We don't let the devil define our era. He cannot take our eras. We are of the Omega, the Alpha and Omega. You know, I'm shit it. No. I say, no, it will not be. And I say it in the name of Jesus, in my seat and in my place of authority. If you are a Christian, if you're close to being a Christian, if you once were a Christian, if you think you might one day be a Christian, especially y'all who wait hoping to get saved when you finish your sin, let me tell you, you can't get saved in the post-Christian era. That cannot happen. And I refuse to let it be so. I curse it from the crown of the Brochendalabosa. I curse those words, and I curse that movement, and I command it to die. Paul said if they come preaching another gospel, let them be a curse. If they come preaching another Jesus, you, are you kidding, post-Christian? We still on the planet. How are you going to let them tell you you are past tense and you're still living? How can you be a past tense Christian unless you backslid? You know I'm stuck. Oh, Jesus. So you got to get righteous indignation with these devils, but they need your authority. So they need you running around talking about we in a post-Christian era. Don't you ever say it. Don't you ever think it. When it comes to your head, curse it. And the devil, they brought it. Don't you ever agree with that. We don't agree with that. As Christians in 2018, the United States of America, the world, as Christians, we are not past tense. We're still here. We're still holding the fall. We're not going to let you past tense us. You are not going to obsolete us. We are not obsolete. We are Omega, Alpha and Omega. And we're going nowhere. Watch that thing to waste. They're gonna, they got to find something else because I scuttle their work. I command everything that they're using. To, to reinforce that, to die, to disintegrate in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. We are not past tense, because that's what they're saying. They're saying, you all are obsolete. You all are past tense. See, and they got that authority from some Christian leader who thought, well, the power not moving, so it must be over. No, the power's not moving with you. Just because the utility company turns out your life doesn't mean that they went out of business. You just don't have the electricity. We still got the power. We still moving. Saints of God, are you hearing this? Because yes, I'm forceful. I'm forceful with this devil, and I don't want you all to pick up that language. I don't want you all to pick up agreement with that because they Satan needs our agreement to do what he's doing. He needed Christians to believe in homosexuality. 
He needed that. He needed Christians to perform it because without our authorization, he can't do anything but whisper and hiss. He needs us. He can't do it without us. And you are not going to obsolete Christianity, not this year and not on my watch. If the other watch was happy with that, fine, not me. We are the offering mantles of Scripture. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a, a prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a five-folder. I'm a three-folder. And I decree from my seat of authority and the power vested in me, you will not obsolete Christianity. We are not past tense and not a Christian that names the name of the Lord. You'll ever make that decree. You are not post. We are not post-Christian. There's no such thing as a post-Christian era because the Bible says we exist to the end of time. Even when the church is gone, then we got the 144,000 Jews that are going to still keep Christianity alive. And when the 144,000 are gone, we still have the, uh, the angels of God preaching the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? We are going to close this thing. We opened it, and we will close it. Oh! As surely as Jesus is Lord. And I expect you to go to war with me on that phrase. Don't let them use it. Don't let them say it. Don't accept it. When people start telling you about it, you go to say, that's a lie. And you go head on and they send them my link. If you, don't, you can't get the words out right, don't worry about it. I got the words. Did you notice? I'm not at a loss. But I curse that devil. I curse that move. I curse that founder. I curse the authorizer. I love In the name of Jesus, it shall never be. We will not. We scuttle that work in Jesus' name. See, the last time we went on there, and then Christians started saying, yeah, well, we're in a postmodern era. And then Christians said, yeah, we're in a postmodern era. Just we ended up being a post. Well, we might not be fighting for modernity, but we are certainly fighting for perpetuity. And I'm telling you, see, I don't let them bring that stuff to me. I don't have an identity crisis, so that's why I don't let them do it. No, that's not me. No, you are defining me wrongly. No, let me help you. You are defining me. No, let me define me. And I'm defining me according to Christ. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Actually, I got lost. Oh, okay. You paying attention? Don't do it. Don't say it. Don't agree with it. Uh, and don't authorize it. Don't agree with it and don't authorize it. Stop creeping over there to those little meetings trying to figure out how you can learn a little something from the devil. Stay with me. I'm going to tell you what the devil is doing and what God is doing. And you know why? Because I'm, I'm the agent of the Godhead. I'm the agent of the throne of Jesus Christ. I'm the mouth of God. I'm going to tell you. And he hates that. For the record, he hates it. And he doesn't want you to buy into it. Sugar pot, Jesus. He a honey some honey sugar. You know it's the truth. Some of you all have was already said, really? And you sitting there, you're alive, kicking, and, and working, and praying, and praising, and carrying on talking about, really? Really? Are we there? No, we're not. But they're trying to get your permission to obsolete you and to say that you are a pastor, that your faith and your, and your, your God is passe. We don't serve a past tense God. We serve an omnipotent God. And I really love him. Okay. Man, I worked myself up. Did you see how I get worked up, boy? I get all inflamed, man. I can't even find myself. I'm sitting here now, boom, everything pushing forward. Whoop. I'm like, no, not the case. 
We don't treat our God that way. I'm not, I didn't start out with a dead God, and I didn't kill him. As far as I know, nobody else killed him along the way, so he's still alive. There is no past faith. Can't happen. Cannot happen. And I'm going to need my warriors. I need my bulldogs. I need my maulers. I need my lions. I'm telling you, I need my eagles. We need that. I need my savage. We are not taking that. This is one move that will not get off the ground because we are getting ahead of it in Jesus' name. We're getting out in front of this thing, and we're killing it. First with the virgins, then with the deities, because they already did. All right. I'm back. I am back. <laughs> I'm back. So, <laughs> back to the regularly scheduled program. 7-8, for though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle has made you sorry, though, um, though but for a season. So Paul wrote them a letter laid out like I just laid out. You know, y'all messing over God. Let's treat our king better. Let's pull our stuff together. Let's get our act, you know, straight in King Jesus. Verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. See, there is a sorry, but then no repentance. So we've been sorry, but not penitent, not repentant. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye may receive what? Look at damage by us in nothing. Because sin causes damages. Because you call it a religious effect, you call it a spiritual offense, you call it a theological offense, when in God's mind it is a legal offense. And uh, in the spiritual realm, in his realm, where legal, legalities and judgments, and cetera, courts are set up all the time to process sin. <laughs> He has to make us see the damage our sin did. You will never repent beyond your thorough comprehension of the damage your sin or error or omissions caused. You have to know the damage. You have to see, and God has to show you. And that's hard. That's when it gets painful because you want to repent. God, I want. I, I feel bad because sorry is I feel bad. But see, feeling bad and dealing with damages, not the same. And you have to see that because you can feel bad. Oops, I stepped on your toe. But if I broke that toe, I got to deal with the damages. So if I just stepped on it, then it's a nuisance. It's a mishap. It's a misstep, as they call it. But if I crushed it, that's damage. So if you cause somebody to lose a job because of your manipulations and your connivance, then guess what? You, you cause damage. And God is holding that against you until one or two things happen. They forgive you unconditionally, or you come to the knowledge of the truth and repair the damages. I don't know about you, but I just got to lift up my hands, but the Lord is just having a blast today. So he says, so that you might receive by us nothing, by us in nothing. Uh, uh, Let me back up. That you might receive damage by us in nothing, which means, Well, I'll just say that for my apostles' class. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world works death. 
So when you are thoroughly penitent, I, I realize that I, I caused this for you, I caused this to you, my brother, my sister, whatever, not just I'm sorry, uh, and I'm so, because when you say, what do you say? I'm sorry for all of the damages I caused you and cost you loss, loss of relationships, loss of rep- reputation, loss of credibility. And if you don't ever do it, don't worry about it because the adjudicators of God's spirit realm will continue to heap the cost of those damages on you. They'll continue to find you in the spirit and you'll have fine after fine after fine. Then all of a sudden, all of your good fortune just comes to a screeching halt and you find out you can't get blessed in anything. Like, Lord, where's the favor of God? And you begin to pray for the favor of God. Because when God's spirit starts finding you for what you've done and refused to repent of, the first thing you, you seek shut down is favor. And then after that, indulgence. Where people are just like, oh, well, you know, you, I know, I know you. You're All of a sudden, they don't people trust you with nothing because that mistrust that you created is reproducing after its own time. And so then, but, but then he said, but, but godly sorrow, that means godly sorrow starts with what it did to God. Not just why you did it, why you had to do it. God needs to understand. But Jesus needs to understand. I mean, after all, we're on earth. He's in heaven. No, he doesn't. He was on earth. He went to hell. You still haven't gotten there yet. And went to heaven. So the first thing you have to recognize is when you are sorrowful for what you did, and how it affected God in your relationship with God, you're well on your way to repentance. But until you thoroughly process the God factor, you can't repent. You just feel bad. You wish you, you know, you know how the world does it, their way of repentance. Yeah, but that wasn't my better self. I don't care about your better self. I'm sitting over here laying down bleeding. Your better self means zippy to do that in this. And so now, then, and he said, and that leads to repentance. It works to salvation. It works to save you from the reason that happened, to save you from the fact that it's in you. It saves you. That, that, that's a work of salvation. Oh, come on, some. Can you, do you realize that your salvation will, will be halted, will be stunted, your, your salvation growth and benefits, and if, if you have a problem with repentance? This is a work of salvation and not to be repented of. In other words, when you really repent to God, you don't go back and say, man, I can't believe I let myself be that transparent. I can't believe I let myself be that open in public. And then you want to pretend that that you never repented or either cut off relationship with the person because your ego is ashamed. And then, but he said, but the sorrow of the world works death, which means when you are sorry for what you did to the world or what, what, what happened to you or what the world did to you, then it's a death to your emotional strength, your psychological self. Because you, know, you, you want to be friends with the world. You don't realize how deeply embedded in us that is. You want the world to like you. You want the world to approve of you. You want the world to trust you and to use you and to receive you into its fold. So when you, when you do something against the world, like decide I'm not going to sin any longer, I'm not going to stay in this job any longer or whatever, yeah, that's going to work death. It's going to work not death to your soul, but death to your well, your livelihood, your reputation maybe, and maybe some credibility. 
be dead. But look at this. For be, behold this self-same thing that ye sorrowed after a godly source. So he, he, now he lays it out after a godly source. What carefulness it wrote. Well, okay, so now thoughtless things. You start becoming aware and astute to the thoughtless things you do that precursor your sin or precede your sin in you. Yea, that clearing of yourself, soul clearing. You begin to cleanse yourself of that habit, that inclination, that appetite, that instinct, that impulse. And then, yeah, what indignation. You become, you can now call what you did sin and be indignant about it when it's witnessed in others. Because, see, when you are filled with that, you don't have indignation. You have indulgence. You don't become indignant. You become indulgent. And, yeah, what fear. Now, and vehement desire, what zeal, and what revenge in all things you have approved, approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So you act on it, the damages you cause, the, the, the criticisms that you arise, the, the, the uh, fearfulness that you have of offending everybody but God. You now become, uh, your fear of God is revived and you don't want to offend him. You don't want to offend his law, his government. You know, sometimes you get so, you know, Christians, because he's your personal savior, you don't think that he has a perpetual law, a perpetual judgment. Your savior is not an icon on your car. He's the sovereign of a world that predates this one. And just because you ignore his sovereignty and you ignore his supremacy doesn't diminish it one bit. He just waits for you to get old, die, have an accident, something, where you're going to have to stop your, stop your role and listen to him. And what revenge? You begin to, to literally go after the reasons that you did that. And sometimes that revenge may be cutting yourself off from relationships that inspired it or motivated it, that made it appealing. So you have to figure out what really appeals to you. And so the world has told you anything and everything God and Jesus Christ is unappealing. And anything destructive, deceitful, and dysfunctional or disgusting is better. I want to give you one last thing before I call the process. This is a good one. This is my class on repentance that I teach. And so I want us to go to... Second Timothy, you know, people want to be close to God when they're ready to take him seriously. And they act as if God is not real and that he has no reactions or responses to how they treated him up to that point. You know, you can sit there and tell me, you know, Dr. Price, I really wish I could help, but, you know, I can't. And really because you want to go off and, and do something that you find more glamorous, more appealing, and more rewarding, that's fine. I live with it. You live with it. But God remembers. See, the times that God said he needed to is when he felt he expected you to come to him and affirm that need and then do something about it. And there are times that he needs you. Now, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18. Who concerning the truth has erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overflow the faith of some, excuse me, overthrow. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands assured, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth 
and some to honor and some to dishonor. So God got all kinds of stuff in his house. You all keep asking why is that in the church? It's in his house. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So vessels of dishonor are, are prepared for you know, all the evil works. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do you realize how many qualifiers are in the Bible? That's this heart blanche thing that we're talking about. That's man-made. He said, because people call on God, but obviously he has something to call on them out of an import pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, apt to teach, patient. You in churches where they don't teach. And you you saying, but this is my pastor. This is my bishop. This is my, can't read. Can't read. And don't touch scripture. And you are in those churches wondering why your soul can't get free. You are already authorizing your bondage and your captivity. You're authorizing it. God can't talk. We don't do scripture. We have to sing secular songs just for the world to know that we're okay with that. Are you kidding? I will never, ever, let me talk about never, ever, never. If my worship leader came up with a secular, I don't care if it's a hook. I remember that song. What is that song? That, that one that goes, you know, the devil almost had me, that tune. The devil, how'd you go? The devil um, Mm-hmm. Okay, why is that the Six Flags music? The little old guy on the Six Flags music. So you got to have a discerning spirit and not just an ear for new. See, if you have a novelty addicted ear, you will never, ever have discernment. So you need new stuff. I need novelty. And so when I heard that, I said, but isn't that the Six Flags talk? The little guy on the Six Flags commercial, sure enough, it came on two weeks later. I said, but we think we are what? You don't even know what's pure and impure in your own house as your leaders? I'm just saying. Must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, here's where I want to go. Verse 25 and 26. If this is your Bible or whatever, highlight it. Because you need to know that this is why people can't repent. People are unable to repent when God prevents their repentance so that he doesn't have to forgive them until they learn what they did and the damages thereof. God will hinder your... I keep trying to put up. No, and here's why. Let me go and read it in language that we can all agree. Thank you, Jesus. I got a, I got a nice new something here. So we're gonna see if we get to the Bible. Whatever. What are we going, Timothy? Okay. Timothy two twenty five. In meekness, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God prevents it, 
will give them repentance to, to the acknowledging of the truth. So until the truth of what you did hits you, you can't repent. You can be sorry, you can hate it, you can be disgusted with yourself, but there is a truth that you need to cause you to repent so that you will, literally, you will excise that from your psychological self. You will literally cut it out. You'll purge your soul of that sin. But until then, it's apology. Now, look, I like the next verse. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That last piece, can I say it? That last piece, my family, my beloved family, that last piece is why you can't repent. Because until you know what you're doing, the authorization you gave that devil stays in effect. So you can have moments of repentance. You can go to church, not cry, lay on the altar. You can spit up and vomit green stuff, blue stuff, orange stuff. It does not matter. The authorization has got to be revoked, and you can't revoke it without a conscious awareness of the logic system of your soul that authorized that. Told that devil, it's okay to use me for this when you need me. That's what this means. You authorize that. When I want to seduce a man from his wife, I'm going to use you because you are the woman that availed yourself to me and you gave me authorization. So I can send you on assignments for me to do my will. Did you hear that? How many, are, they, are you all following me? Sometimes my soul can weep for the people of God, for the things that have happened to you all that shouldn't have happened, for the things that took over your life that you didn't know anything about. You followed some crazy person's doctrine. You followed some sensational move. You just jumped on a herd or, or just ran with the crowd. And, but now you're dealing with what actually was the unseen factors that you didn't realize existed. This is not a condemnation. This here is a revelation. This is an expose. And this is how to get free from your own authorized, they kind of captivity. You gave permission. Some of you all gave permission way back in high school. You don't even remember what you were kids, you were playing around. But let us not forget that Esau gave his birthright to Jacob when they were kids playing in the kitchen. Esau was starving. So I'm, I, what is this birthright to me? Right now, I'm about to die anyhow, and I want to inherit it. Because that's how, how impatient and how greedy and indiscriminate he was about the things that really mattered in life. So he gets it. So Jacob knows because Jacob's mother's been telling him what God said to her about them when they were in the womb. So he goes on and he eats the red stew and he puts Kavisa off playing. He's not serious. He's playing. He doesn't know that he just set in, in, in motion that which will fulfill the word of God. Years later, they're both grown men family, everything, and uh, it's time for Isaac to die. And you know what? God bound Esau. His words, and he authorized And he lost his birthright. And he, way down in Hebrews 11, we're still talking about Esau and his birthright. He said, but he sought for repentance, and he couldn't recover even though he sought it with tears. That's one of those 
presumptuous things that John says you should not pray for. You're getting a window right now to clean up your lives. You're getting a window to get rid of unclean things and, and to, to break ties with unrighteousness, profanity. You're getting an opportunity to clear the slate. This is your amnesty moment in the Holy Ghost. God is going to halt and interrupt for a season all of the powers that have been maneuvering you and, and, and carrying out this edict on your life. He's going for a season because you, many of you, victims, mama church, daddy church, Uncle Church, Grandfather Church, all of them, and they, were, they all defected. They were all Eli and his son. But God knew that you were an unwitting participant in their rebellion. He's going to give you an opportunity. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your sin is right now. I don't care what you're standing with, right now, how vile you feel. I'm telling you, you're getting an opportunity. Now, it's a short window. So don't think you can play around with it. It's a short window. And if you use that window wisely, you can get set free, and God will wipe your slate clean, and you and he will pick up, not where you work, because when you offend a relationship, you must create a new one, because the one you offended died. So you and God are going to resume your fellowship, resume communion, and build a better and stronger relationship without the tension of that unmet desire always creeping in to your times together or creeping into your walk with Christ because that will be released. That will be eliminated. What did you just get a sample of? Come on up here, prophet, and I know the other one will be here soon. You got a sample of biblical psychology. Thank you. The election. This is, yeah, it will be a lecture, so it won't be up on Facebook all that long. Coming soon. We better share it today because, you know, prophet actually pulls stuff down very quickly. You know. I might be nice. You feel, you feel nice today? I just <laughs> the body needs it. The body needs it. But that's a sample of how we do it. Now, And that's a very brief, would you say brief? Yeah, because we had a whole semester of this, and that was orientation. <laughs> yeah, it is, orientation. <laughs> For not out. Yeah, you know, the land is huge. In every good way possible. But that's biblical psychology. And that's helping a, a soul remain free. I told you. <laughs> and we never even thought about it. We're going to start with you because you always get. Oh, you are? Do you want to? No, you can start with her. Okay, I'm, I'm used to that. that. She, she said, don't play <laughs> the cat. She would like to change the group. <laughs> uh, don't play All right. I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, Lord. About some things you said. But namely, when you said if you have a novelty addicted soul, when you were mm-hmm. talking about that, how does someone know if, it, and I'll use the prophet as an example, because our job is to be out there on the wire, mm-hmm. know what's going on. How do you know if you have a novelty-addicted soul mm-hmm. or if you are scouting around or, you know, getting information or something like that? Novelty-addicted souls are always jumping on the next thing. They are your trenders. Trends draw them. And trends don't just inform them. When you okay. are doing your job, trends inform you. Oh, so this is passing for them. This is coming up. But the other people, unless it's trending, they're not moved. Because the novelty addicted soul needs to always be doing the next thing. 
always on the lookout for the next thing. And so that makes them very vulnerable to any kind of, of uh, uh, you know, charlatanism where they okay. just buy into anything. And so it makes them gullible. And it makes them gullible because they're eager to obsolete things. So they obsolete things quickly because they're already on to the next thing in their world. Which can probably make you very resistant to wisdom. Of thinking because well, it's all about the experience. It's all about the experience and the person saying it to you. Okay, so if people who are hooked on the whole novelty thing, would a lot of their responses be, well, you're just isolated, mm-hmm. you're not really in touch, you're not in the flow, you're not open-minded. Okay, yeah, because and they're always criticizing you. They will criticize the state, the stable, the you know established, and they will always want to make you feel bad for not chasing their wins. You know, so I'm waiting for a train. I'm not going to chase your wind. Hmm. And that's what they want. They're always chasing the wind. That's what scripture says they do. Okay. And says so they're always chasing the wind and then waiting for the world. They want the next thing to move them ahead because to them, they're nothing in what they see as standing still. People can only see them when they are outpacing what's moving. Hmm. You're very welcome. I'll sit them. <laughs> whatever this is. Coffee smells very good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> mm. It's still my left you know, from, from morning. <laughs> okay, and Dr. Price has the best coffee. All right. And when you were talking about the sleazier the church, the sleazier the leader, I have seen, and I'm sure we've all seen at this point online, different ministers who choose to use unclean films or scenarios or demonstrations in their church to illustrate the point. For example, biblical psychology is biblical. And we stay straight in the word, and it goes right at our mess, never having to actually jump in the pool of sin that Mm -hmm. hopefully God has rescued us from to see the point. Mm -hmm. So is that part of the uh, culture-crafted church Friend, it is basically well. The culture crafted church's main mantra is that we are not religious, we're not bound by religion, we're not bound by legalism. We are free enough to even embrace secularity and tell themselves and remain uncontaminated. Meanwhile, you, I mean, you show picture, you, you know, you set up a bed in the middle of your pulpit and tell people to start teaching people how to have sex. First of all. That's not new. They could have just gone to their children's school class lecture. So that's not sure they both. So that's not a big deal. So you obviously have an ulterior motive, and that is you're 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 literally releasing the spirit of that desire. You're making it very templating so that people will want to do it. Now, if you can do it in the pulpit, all the better because now we can say Jesus understands and he appreciates mm-hmm. our sexuality and sexual issues, which Jesus never did. You know, he was like, oh, no, 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 I know how that's going to play out. But see, I saw that back in my garden and see. But but preachers who do that have already been perverse in secret. Okay. And so they're now trying to publicize it so that they can gain a following. Some fertility mm. demon told them mm. that if you get, get a following, if I get your church, I will give you. Because this is always the get gift thing. You know, the devil wants you to get so he can give. And he'll give you so you can give him 
what he wants. So these pastors who do that, that whole thing is they've left Christ long before they got to the masses and the pulpit. They were off. And if you really, if God opened their, their books, Prophetically, you would see, because I often do, you would see on this date, on this time, in this place, in that place, when God wants to expose you. So that's the, the sleaziness that the church thinks is now really replicating themselves after their own kind. So is that what we uh, see then with the ministers who started out clean, mm-hmm. you know, which we now label religious, mm-hmm. yeah. clean, looking like a minister, whether they're in a suit or not? looking like the minister, and then four, five, ten, however many years later, completely look like they've left God in the name of evangelism liberty. and liberty and not, okay. You know, because the, the whole idea is that even though they looked that way, they didn't, they never converted. Remember, we've been talking so about unconverted again. leaders. So then, you know, so these leaders, even though they were not converted, they were still called. So they are the call, they're not the chosen. Because the chosen can't cheat, the chosen can't fall. Because the chosen is literally physiologically and psychologically constructed Mm -hmm. to finish with Christ. And so even though they were called, they were never converted. Uh And so when the pressures of their call and the privileges, see, it's the privileges that you're going to get tried with. So when the pressures and the privileges of that call begin to take over and begin to jump in and jump, you know, jump and give them opportunities. They now find out what they really believe about scripture. They now find out what they really believe about sin, what they really believe about death and what they really feel about God. So you don't know that it's kind of like a, a, a poor person will never know that they are stingy or that they are reckless or that they are manipulative until they get the resources to do so. Mm. So when God mm. positions you in places like that, especially when you're inexperienced and naive, he really knows that it's going to open up packets in your soul that would have never been able to, to actuate themselves if you hadn't been in that position and granted that privileges and have access to those kinds of resources. So even though they start out that way, they start out that way because perhaps that's how they grew up, but they never took time to get saved never took time to be converted, never took time to learn Christ because they were always looking for an opportunity. You know, being a minister is like the default celebrity thing. Yeah. So so later on, now they go and they meet the the old God. You know, they meet the the mentors of the world. They meet their worldly preachers, and they meet all of them, listen to the doctrines and all of those kinds of things, sitting at the table, having dinner, you know, and all of that. They meet them, and then they begin to have to weigh in on what they really feel. And if the person is someone they highly admire, then they're going to take their word as value over God. Think about the lion prophet and the the new prophet. That is your story right there. And he went home. He sat down. He ate with them. He did everything God told him not to do. Uh-huh. He said, God said, stay away from fools. If God said, I'm going to judge something, why are you having dinner with me? I can't even understand that. But I can, I can appreciate, though, the vulnerability to it because I was young. I've been out here a long time. I, I know the meetings. I know those things do happen. But they don't happen for you to even cut ties. Sometimes they just happen for you to show your strength. And you to maintain God, you know, in, in those settings, somebody's gonna be converted. Mm. Dot dot dot. 
That was my dot, dot, dot. Flipping <laughs> back to page one. Flipping <laughs> coffee. Uh, a lot of stuff. Well, you said a lot of things today. <laughs> yeah, that's page one. All right. Um, wow, repentance. Dealing with repentance and what it's not. Repentance is about crimes. It's about you feeling horrible while you make someone else feel better. I tell you what, you can so see why we are in trouble as a church. <laughs> I've been studying who is like in Ephesians and James. We are so getting this wrong. We have made everything about making us feel good yeah. no matter what state or condition we are in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have brought it down to you can be the worst sinner, the most unrepentant. It doesn't even matter. And God you just loves you the way you are. And you just burn down a whole neighborhood. <laughs> and it's like, that's okay. God is still, he's going to come after you the same way as somebody. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. we are. Well, do you know why I call it Christ? Because when God was creating these laws, there were no churches, no church buildings. There were people who were members of a nation, of a government. So those are crimes against the state of Jesus Christ. And they're still crimes. And they're still crimes against the state of Jesus Christ, regardless of what your local club called the church says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God, because that's why it's a crime because these are the laws of the state of jesus christ yeah. the state and the government of god mm-hmm. and it is not about your local congregation or your pastors whatever god charges the pastors who teach um teach as sin god's righteousness and teaches sin is okay, and God's not affronted by it. He, he charges them. Trust right. me, he says that. He said, if you take away from this word, I'm going to take away your part in the kingdom yeah. of life. He, yeah. so he, yeah. They're already sentenced them, Judge. Yeah. Well, this reminds me of, uh, you know, watching, I like watching crime shows where the crime is committed, and it's a couple young people, and actually even somebody I know. And so the family decided not to press charges mm-hmm. because we love him and whatever. Mm-hmm. But the state, the state <laughs> so, said... It's not up to you, actually. That's nice that you won't get along. You're going to jail. You're going to court. And the state overrode all of the other things. It didn't matter how many times they petitioned. It didn't matter whatever. We are pressing charges. And it's not their first offense. And because it's not their first offense, we are certainly pressing charges. And this is how I feel this uh, revelation, and it's a shame that repentance has to be a revelation
the fact that the parents forgave, that's wonderful. Yeah. That could be great in your moral system. Right. But in the judicial system, yeah. where judgment, where, where a crime has come into existence and we've got to dispose of it. Why do you have a disposition? Because we've got to dispose of that crime somewhere. And so God has to dispose of that sin somewhere and through some means. And not only that, he has a host of agents and officials, spiritual officials who must adjudicate what's happened because a citizen has suffered wrong, a citizen has been harmed. Yeah. Well, think about now. When somebody commits a crime that ends up, let's just say, in the loss of somebody's life or rape or whatever, mm-hmm. and you find out they have been let go mm-hmm. several times before, yeah, they've been brought. This actually isn't their first offense. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, if this yeah, case yeah. was thrown out, it wasn't. You are just that much more infuriated yeah. because mm-hmm. you know that the higher authority should have uh, literally arrested that situation Absolutely. to prevent somebody mm-hmm. else from being a victim of at least that person. Yeah. Well, and see, God, you know, people say, I, I, I'm so glad you focused on that for this moment. Because people often say, well, where was God? Ooh, why wasn't God in the courthouse? And where was God? God was watching y'all do it wrong. Understand, our judicial system is not based on truth. It tells you that in every single way. It's based on who can play That's the right. truth card. That's right. So God, as far as God's concerned, the thing was doomed because of the judicial structure we have. So if one attorney can, can outlie or, or, or lie so well that the, the yes. jury takes it as truth, then that criminal act is not going to be processed or adjudicated in the flesh. What God will do is he'll let that play out and then turn around and let you get hit by a car. You know, <laughs> the guy might have thought it was okay, but I really did not appreciate that. They'll <laughs> turn around and wreck their family, yep. wreck their kids. God will turn around and do all of those kinds of things, and it could have been prevented. In other words, even the innocent family is brought into that judgment because the judicial system of man is corrupt. So when you have a corrupt judicial system, you're going to have a God that's going to erupt in that criminal's life. So even though we think, well, we're just ignoring God, you can't, you know, and they they say it's an act of God. This is an act of God. You better know it. God is like, you can't. So God will let them go through that system. Or if he thinks they're going to get a, a, a sentence that is unbefitting the crime, God will let the whole thing go through, play out. Or he'll stop the case so he can process the sentence. Because, see, God's angels are not impressed with us. They are like, are you kidding? We're not impressed. We walk through doors. We can go into your boat. We got access to everything. We do not have to yield to you all. We'll just wait. And I can see them angels sitting there on Saturday. Okay, most time, how are we going to handle that? Just let it run its course. We'll fix it later. But when God, yeah. But when God, when God has an agent that he knows he can trust who will uphold his righteousness because God is in favor of his righteousness. Yeah. And you will only know God's righteousness when you stop impeding the truth. So God is in favor of his righteousness. He got a whole system. When you read the laws that he gave and whatnot, he said, you know what? You don't show partiality to the poor because he's poor. And you don't show partiality to the rich because they're rich. So God's judicial system is still the point if somebody wants to use it. But right. But when you decide that you don't, when you want to show part, uh, when you want to build your judicial system 
on the premise of partiality to the rich, then truth is not the way you go. You, truth is what you kick to the curb. Now, truth is replaced by strategy. Mm. And anytime you have a strategic judicial system, it is based on partiality to the rich and powerful. Because if you can pay, you can make the judge say. Mm -hmm. And so, so in God's mind, <laughs> if he has an agent or he gets an agency or, or an institution of which the church should have been, mm. if he gets an institution that will back his, his righteousness and deal with his truth, then God will let the thing run its course because he knows that the people processing the thing are people of truth who are in, and who are in favor of his righteousness. For example, if I see somebody keep getting off, I, you know, I like to watch the news. I see somebody keep getting off. Do I not do it no? I said, you I won't get off. Are you kidding me? I said, I stand in the seat of the Almighty right now on this, and this is how this is going to play out. And it plays out exactly the way I said And you know why? Because I, I sure did. Because I said, and I said, don't let the courts get him. God, I said, I want him to be judged by your righteous officials in the spirit. Let them pronounce judgment. You know, because but that, that takes a whole lot of development. That, you know, you have to come up with a whole lot. You come up high with God on that. But you have to agree with his righteousness. So when you see an injustice in the courts, you don't go and say, yeah, well, you know, that's the world. I don't say that's the world. I say, you did your part, my turn. And I'm going to do God's part, because that's why I'm in this planet. I'm very clear about why Paul A. Price is in this planet, to do Jesus. And now we are, too. His way, <laughs> that's right. His way on his terms. And that's why I'm here. So I do. And so much so, my folks come up to do you know Dr. Price is there? Because they know I get all wound up. Somebody tell Dr. Price. <laughs> I'm going to get all wound up. We'll be on the road. Last time I get a check from Minister Gore, but this weather is cutting up. I know. <laughs> Does Dr. Price know this guy is looking crazy? Now, I don't even know what state we read. I don't even like, know. hold on. I need to go shut it down. And you know why? And the more you do it, the more God will listen to you when you stay in his righteousness. He will begin to trust you. But then you have to do it not only when it's a sensational moment. You have to do it in your own house with your own people. You cannot say, yeah. you know, uh, okay, well, I want to take all of my leaders so-and-so because they've been good, and the leaders didn't do the work, those little five people over there did. Oh, See, yeah. that's an injustice. So I've got to take these five people, and I'm going to make the leaders pay their ticket because that's how that works. See, you have to be just when it's public and private. You have to be just with the great and, what, what did God say, the great and small martyr. You know, he that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of the Lord. That was David's message after serving God all of the years that he served him. He came away with, but he who rules over men, he who rules over God's populations must be just and mm -hmm. serve and rule in the fear of the Lord. And not just terror. You know, we were talking yes. the other day about fear. Not just terror, there's dread. There is, there is um, uh, what do you call it? There's, uh, what do you call it? Anxiety, angst. There is also, mm -hmm. you know, um, terror, terrifying, whatever. But fear of God, and also reverence. There's reverence. There's regard. There's respect. Fear is just not one single hit on the soul. It has a spectrum that we can choose from. I know that God and I have a phenomenal relationship. 
I love my, I tell them every day, John, I love our relationship. We're so good together. I do. We have that. Do I not say it all? It's written on notes and everything. Everything, all on the white paper. <laughs> 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 Let me say, he, you're going to find it. He's my honey, and he knows it. Because he knows he's my honey, he knows that I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not trying to, to uh, you know, outshine him or eclipse him. I don't take his glory. Frankly, I wish I can give him more. But he also knows based on that, I'm going to take care of his business. I'm going to take care of it righteously. I'm going to take care of it justly to the best of my ability. Now, there are times that, hey, it's way out of my control, but you know what? I come back at it. Okay, but I'm going to get this. And, you know, the more you do it for him, the stronger he makes you, the more powerful he makes you, because he knows that he's going to get righteousness out of you, because God's goal, his agenda, is that his righteousness floods the earth. Isn't that powerful, Oh. He's a sugar. He's a, did you hear my bell <laughs> I like this guy. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Another sound. I think I got a dime, too. I got one of those horns. I got these little guys. You know, I like sound effects. So you gonna... like the other one at church? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of gives us, it, it just keeps it lively. And if you take biblical psychology, you're gonna you'll see that little friend. Yes, <laughs> because they have a lot of, lot, of, lot of activity. <laughs> But, you know, this is Price University Day. I want you to think about what you've heard and to find, ask yourself, where do I get this wisdom from in the world without having to turn to paganism, without having to turn to false religion and, 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 and fallen deities? Where can I get this? Where can I stay in Christ and not only enjoy his life and his life, but also enter his liberty? Because I'm telling you, if you can let God clean your soul, and you can allow him to pur- purge it so he can create a place for himself, you're going to find your, that you enter the most delightful experience and interactions with him possible. See, the reason we, you folks don't enjoy God is because y'all still at the beginning with what he can't stand to smell. He don't like that. He doesn't want that. So you're in what God can't stand. So you're withstanding what God can't stand. So you all can't get, come together. But as you let him whittle it away, because God is holy and he's righteous, but he's also something else. Oh, Lord, I got this. He's also something else. God is seminal. S-E-M-I-N-A-L. God is seminal. So when he starts coming close to you, he is emitting seeds of life and life and prosperity as he's doing. So the closer you get to him and the more you get of him, the more you get from him. And he doesn't want to empower sin. He doesn't want to empower your error. He doesn't want to lock you into your captivity. He doesn't want to lock you into the, um, the prosperity of darkness. So he has to keep his guard up and his shields up. Because you can't come in God's presence and come away unchanged. It's just an impossibility because he is who he is. Yes, yes. Oh, she gave, she's leaving you a little something. Okay. <laughs> uh, everything was so good today. You talked about the before, um, forgive me, probably actually if you mentioned this, before singing against people, we sin with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were talking about the time that, you know, the, the adultery happens with God first. I think that's really important. That really struck me today. I, I, I think that, you know, when we're doing mentorship sessions, we talk about this a little bit, that the relationship with God is your relationship with people. Essentially, how you're treating people is how you're treating your God. So I thought that was an important yeah. thing. Um, of course, the criminalizing piece that we talked about before. You talked about, this is really good, that 
we bait, uh, we bait something in the spirit and then we walk it out in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And he said, in order to repent, we have to regret conceiving it. Exactly. And I think that that was helpful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. She talked about the fact that we don't know, you know, how to repent. No. Um, and I think that it's that piece that makes it difficult because we are justifiers, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to our sins. Yeah. Like, really well, good. you know, yes, I sinned and I feel bad, but you know, it was just these things and the, this was happening and my mom hurt me and my, you know, this whole thing. Oh, yeah. um, and we don't regret, I don't think we regret thinking about it. Um, but that, I mean, that well, really entertaining the notion. entertaining the notion as, I mean, taking responsibility for our entertainment mm-hmm. and our thoughts. No. That's something else altogether, you know what I mean? Because I think that we, I don't know, uh, we have a mentality that if I think it and don't do it, I'm good. then I'm good. Well, it's just a fantasy. I mean, come on, secular psychology says a harmless fantasy. Sure. They heard it. So mm-hmm. to regret so thinking yeah. about it, mm-hmm. that's difficult. That's, I think that's a concept that we, we, we have to understand. Um, but let me see. I want you to see this because this is important. Um, mm. Blessed, I love, I love God. Blessed is the, James 1.12, blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Well, you don't understand that it's in God's realm, you get a crown for every triumph, which is why Jesus is crowned with many tri- crowns. Okay, so because they crown you, because that's a trophy. Mm-hmm. And so let no verse thirteen. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. What does Jesus pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So He's telling you to God. Okay, but every man. Here's what's good. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own. Lust, that's the conception. When you, give, when you give birth to your lust, because anything that's brought into existence in the spirit will seek a body and will seek a life, will seek a place. So it said, and enticed. That is why the day you committed adultery is the day it showed up on earth. It's not when you first considered doing it. Mm. So, and, the, and when lust, this is important. Verse 15, then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings mm. forth death. Mm. It's a process. And the finishing process is physical performance or wow. bodily execution. So the day that you know, see, you're happy all along. You've been hiding it from yourself. You've been wrestling with it and hiding it and fighting it and da 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 You have. And sometimes God delivers you through your own will when you're, before it takes flesh. But sometimes he doesn't because only through seeing its effect and also moving it through your triumph being can he rid you of it. So is that why so many crimes, even in the natural, are judged based on intent? Intent. Well, Hebrews 4.12. What you to do. The thought and intent of the heart. So you committed adultery way back when you said you were tired of your marriage. My husband doesn't satisfy me. My wife doesn't satisfy me. I don't like it any longer. Whatever. That's the day you did The minute you voiced the criticism and complaint, you commanded your logic system to find a solution. And an alternative. Did you want to enroll in Price University? Go to my Look website. At her, like, uh, what did she just say? Priceuniversity.org. 
sign up, enroll in our biblical psychology class. I teach it. You will love it. There are pastors whose hearts are right with God, want to get their people free, but they don't know where to begin. You have to have what we, we have what we call the truth serum serum therapy. Because that's what Jesus is. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth serum therapy is what we get. That's later down the line. But you need to understand you did not fall to death. Your fall showed up. You understand that. You see, because Saul fell years before he fell. Right. And on we'll go. Was he ever really quite there? Why God makes us responsible for our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, take captive every thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Talk about it. So, I just, I mean, I just, I love seeing how scriptures connect to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but that helps, that makes sense. You know, we're responsible for our thoughts. And I think that we just never made that connection that we have to repent for our mm-hmm. thinking, that it's our thinking that led us to the point of sin. Um, and that there's sin in our thoughts. You know, we just, we have to figure that out. We have to nail that down. Um, <laughs> because. We're, you know what I mean? I think that we're we're, we're going to get to a, a stronger place if we can take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. So I just love that you talked about that. Um, you have a scripture, though. You yeah. have to say well, I'm just going to quote it you. because I don't want to waste time. Because <laughs> Jeremiah says that God brings upon you the fruit of your thoughts. Uh-huh. That is why yoga is a problem for God. Because it keeps telling you to empty your thoughts instead of defend yourself against their insemination in your mind and in your heart. Wow. Wow. And I'm telling you this because I'm going to start coming after yoga. And I'm coming after it for the Christian. Unchristian, I told you, that's the least. If you're not saved, that's the least of your concern. Yeah. We need you to get to the cross, get some blood, you know, get cleansed, get forgiven for the whole stuff you, you carried into mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. But for Christians, I'm coming after that because now you understand why the meditation of, of these other deities is dangerous. Because you, you literally drop your guard and you unlatch, your, unleash rather, your, uh, or forgive me, let me back up, and you unlatch your judgment center mm. so that you can't judge what's Christ and what isn't because you have turned all of your guardianship and safeguard faculties off to meditate for another God. Because God never tells you to dump your mind. He never tells you to meditate on nothing. He never tells you to blank out. And you know why? Because he knows that just like you got two angels, you got at least two devils. Hmm. See, the angels stand before the presence of God, and we love that. Yeah, 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 but your devils stand before the presence of Satan. Hmm. So while you're sitting around there talking about, yeah, well, I'm just, I'll just meditate on scriptures. You can't meditate on scriptures in Buddha's worship center. Right. Because his gods have already blocked scriptures. And the fact that you think that's okay tells me and tells the Holy Ghost, you don't know your God and you have too little of him. Because you don't think what is Christ should be hallowed and what is Christ should be sanctified and what is Christ that should be holy and unfettered, unaffected, and unattached to everything that is world. What does the scripture say? What fellowship has Christ with Belial? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can't say, I'm doing this and I'm using Jesus Christ because you are not. Jesus is not going to let you drag him into some sort of worship service for devils. He's not going to do it. He will turn his back, and he will silence himself in your life, and he will let the false Christ you are using 
as a cloak for your sin to take over your life and your soul. That's it. Just want the, just want a little bit. There you go. That's a knockout. See, that was my knockout punch. There you go. Oh, got a knockout. I got a slap clock and a knockout. And a gavel. Oh, and a gavel. Yes, you want the gavel? You know, Ashley is partial to the gavel. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's partial. Mm-hmm. You like the little thing? I love that. That's the knockout. That's the knockout. I like the knockout now. That's the knockout. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all going to find I'm something. I'm like, blow it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she want to tear it up. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When it's, They can't argue that with me. I'm telling you, you can't. Because we can start right at what? Fellowship does Christ have of the last. You cannot commune in yoga with all of his 300, 900 million deities. And Jesus got to swim through that? He's not doing it. He's like, I'll wait for you to get old, get sick, or die. He can wait you out because he's eternal. And he can wait for you to die because he did. And there's too many switches in this body that you shut it down early. How about a, just a virus in your eye? Just yeah. a little something in your eye. And you're sitting there humming and homing and whatnot with another deity, and you think Jesus Christ is not offended? Your kid gets sick, and all of a sudden, you want him to hop to it, snap to it. You're not saved, and he said, not so, because I'm not who you've been serving. I'm not who you've been ministering to. I have not had your spirit in years, so don't tell me I belong to you or I owe you anything. I don't owe you anything. Let the God you served heal your kids. And you know what? I'm going to find some stuff. Like <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to, because he said that to Israel. He said, go to the God you serve. You want to come to me now because the enemy's at your gate? Go to the God you serve. Let them deliver you. He said, as for me, my eye, I will turn from you, and I will not hear you. See, because you don't know your Bible, you thought it was okay to treat him like he's some sort of dime store or something. He's not a dollar general God. He is God. I'm not a dime store God. I'm like, no. I'm not like that, Father Jimmy. We go there and have a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, so but we don't go there. To, to, uh, no, we, we don't, don't go, go there. Or anything. No, no, you're right. We don't <laughs> go for the uh-uh. No, so I'm telling you because I'm getting ready to show you how you have sold out your God because you believe hey. somebody who did not want a relationship with him. Hmm. See, before you take advice, you need to find out what that, yeah. the, that, that leader's attitude is toward God. What's their take on Jesus Christ? Because they may have had a problem with him that you have just bought into, and you become an advocate of their resentment and rejection of Jesus Christ. So your false faith is an advocacy for the person who hates him. So you're not going to tell me that. I tell you, they try to tell me all the time. You know, they try to tell me about yoga. Don't talk to Dr. Christ about yoga. See, I'm going to tell you. Don't do it. Save yourself. No, do it and save yourself. Actually, please bring it up. Please bring it up. And hold on. Oh, it's like, are you going to... I was different. <laughs> different. I was in there. I met those spirits. Are you kidding me? No. See, some of you are, but the problem with Christians is that you don't get out enough. So anytime something vile comes in your church, you'll get that novelty addiction takes over. And you here's a new novelty, and you get excited because something is not church. You're right. You should be frustrated with church if church is separated from its founder. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've been with Jesus Christ since 1981. Now, I ran first round. 
Yeah, yeah. I did because he's my honey. But but from 1982 until today, I can tell you, I have never had one boring day with Jesus Christ. Now, what frustrating? Yeah, man, gonna frustrate you because Jesus is gonna be Jesus. You're either gonna change or you're gonna change lanes. And so, <laughs> he is who he is. But I've never been bored. I've never felt like I didn't have, or he wasn't mine. I never wanted another God. I have not read up on another God other than the right, the prophet's dictionary. I have never cared about another God. When I'm with Jesus, I'm telling all the number, this is what I want. I only want this. And I'm telling you, those of you who are filled with the Holy Ghost, no, I am telling you the truth. This is not a broadcast statement. This is not a media thing. This is Jesus Christ in me. I've never, and I mean not just God the Father, Godhead, God the Father, God God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. I have never in all of those years. Now, I've cried a lot. Lord, I said, God, is it ever? But you know what? I cried every time my soul died. Because you know what? Your soul cries when it's dying. Oh. That stuff is dying. Your soul starts weeping like, like uh, weeping at its psychological pain or soulological pain, the same way your body weeps at physical pain. That's why Paul talks about it's grief. It says that it's sorrow. Yeah, because you die. That thing like, what? I got to move? Oh, I'm not going to have my place anymore. Oh, God. And that soul gets to wait for more. But it's going to take its place. And then you get excited. Jesus. And he's going to stretch out and put himself somewhere else and put himself somewhere else. I have never, when I tell you never, not once have I regretted being born again and being filled with the Holy Ghost and being with Jesus Christ not one day in 30, since, well, what are we, 33 years? And you know what? I'm looking forward to 33 more and then 10 times as many eternities. I love him. I love his taste. I love his flavor. I love his smell, the sound of his voice. I love the spirit that he gives me. I love the healing. I love when I'm dumb. He makes me smart in an instant. I love the answers and the Ooh. wisdom. I'm telling you, I love the hope that he gives me. As soon yes. as I think it's all gone, he said, not so. Mm. I love it. I love the way he picks me up when I fall down. He holds me when I am so lost. I love the way he blocks my tears. I love the way he builds my body. I love when I'm sick and come through in the middle of the night and I'm healed. I'm telling you, yeah. I that I lack nothing in this thing. And they ain't made a devil that can beat that. Ooh. Not one. Not one. When we fight, it's wonderful. We have the sweetest fights. It's so wonderful. I first scream. He waits a couple of days, come back and say, you got that out your <laughs> So we're going to go on. I love the intimacy and our familiarity. We are past all of that. People cannot act. Well, how do you think? I don't make God responsible for nothing that man has done. Come on. Half of y'all, well, y'all trying to explain to people why he's still God, even on. though that's like an, a, as if men are human. Do you know there's a place in the book of Revelation where all of the, the devils are gone and still humans are cutting up? <laughs> we need no help. So I'm telling you, you got to have something else because okay. you got another minute or something, and then y'all going to talk about getting people in school. Is that right? Yeah, we can talk about getting people to school right now. Do you want me to get one more point? One more point. You got All right. three. All right, I know. I had so many. Okay, okay, guys. Uh, okay, the I must cleanse me. That's, we, yes. <laughs> no, I love That's that. It. I love reading that scripture. Um, I, I, 
that was really powerful. The mm-hmm. women culture folks are, again, responsibility here. I love how you talked about the fact that God's not going to do your deliverance for you, mm-hmm. that he's not doing that. Yeah. You know, that was really powerful. Yeah. Because when we, when we understand, we can approach him better. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can have a better relationship with him when we understand how he really is. And I just love that you made that clear today. God's not delivering you for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to come with it. You've got to want that. Um, and taking responsibility for cleansing ourselves, but better seeing that it's in the word yes. that we have to cleanse ourselves because, you know, people will snap back about that. But it's clearly there. We yes. have to cleanse ourselves. Well, I must have somebody on this very word word um, dependent and word literate because I found y'all scriptures for all I said, you know, mm-hmm. and I want you to understand I studied this, but even but I could not get the revelation. I could not get the um, the connection until I studied the man. Yeah. See, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author of this Bible. And even though these women know me well, they can tell you, they read this, they read my stuff all the time, they can tell you what I meant when you can't figure it out. But what they know about me is not in print. It's in personality and it's in personal interaction. And it's their relationship with me as the person who wrote that. It, it brings them into a more accurate comprehension of who I am, what I'm likely to do, how I think, etc. You all are like that with the people who are in your life. But anyhow, we're almost running out. Okay. You want to talk about the school? Christ University. <laughs> you got to find a way. So enrollment, so, uh, fall enrollment for fall semester starts the 20th of August. It's a Monday. Um, all your, your applications, applications need to be in to us by the 10th of August. If you can get it into us, we can get you in school and get you started on time by the 20th. If you submit your application after the 10th, we're going to fight for you. We're going to fight for you to get in school, to get enrolled on time. Um, but the fall semester enrollment, it's underway. It's happening right now. Associate's degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's programs, right. credentialing programs, mm-hmm. practical ministry diploma. You name it, we have it. We have it at Price U. Uh, so if you haven't explored us lately, we want you to check us out, priceuniversity.org. And we want you to give us a call, 877-419-1299, because we want to have a consultation with you. We want to sit down with you. We want to talk with you about what program is right for you. And this is the time to do it. Don't wait. Now. Now is the time. Give us yes. a call, 877-419-1299. You can also visit our page on Facebook, Price University Facebook, and you can send us a message. We'll get right back to you. We'll let you know all that you need to know about getting enrolled in school. Absolutely. And if the only thing you want is for God to restore your soul as David prayed, then the biblical psychology course is the way to go. You've heard samples of it. I've been giving you snippets off and on and empowering you to set your soul free. Hey, we're coming up on the end of this. This has been great. I've enjoyed every moment of it. I love my family. I do. I love my family. I love you for just for being there every week. You, even if I don't, if I'm fighting a war, I think about you and make sure I'm on Thursdays at 11 o'clock Black Talk Radio, that's Central Time. But don't forget, we have a Sunday. And our Sunday is at the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands. You don't want to miss it. They don't, listen, the music goes live at 10. You don't want to miss the music and the worship. And then 11 o'clock, I go live with whatever Jesus is saying. And, uh, hey, we're going to have a blast. So go to priceuniversity.org and say, I want to find out more about it. And then share this. And then after you share, I want you to share it and say, 
sisters, brother, you were trying to get rid of this habit, this addiction, this affliction, this condition. Hey, this woman has the answer. Share it, share it, and share it. And not only share it, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher or a leader, sit down and walk your people through it so that they may be set free. I love you again. Take care. Have a great weekend. Aha!